Well, good morning and welcome to Your DIY Health Radio here on the Spreaker Radio Network and simulcasting on Jitsi and free conference call. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. This program is meant to provide natural healing information only and is in no way meant to replace the advice of a competent medical professional, assuming you can find one. I search for and present to my listeners natural modalities that simply assist and augment the body's ability to heal itself. The body wants to fix itself. The body knows how to fix itself. It has a God-given innate ability to do so. The only thing is missing is the raw materials. And when you put those back into the mix, stand back and wait to be amazed because your body's going to do some really cool stuff. Now you can visit my website at yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself. Health, H-E-A-L-T-H, YourDIYHealth.com. There's all kinds of information there. All the products we talk about are there, including the new iTeraCare device, which is featured prominently at the top of the homepage. And uh, there's all kinds of information about that. You've got downloadable flyers and brochures. There's a link to a YouTube playlist that has over 130 videos talking about the technology, how it's used, testimonials of people all over the world have had fantastic life-changing results using these things and there's also some videos about people who have turned this into a really profitable home-based business so if you're looking to make some money in these day and age there's a good way to do it these things are selling like hotcakes people love them and uh, they're flying off the shelves get in on the action so anyway, it's all there, and there's also a link to the uh, dedicated website for the devices. And uh, when you get there, you'll find more information, more testimonials, and a link to make a purchase. And they're only $380 one-time purchase delivered to your door uh, in the USA, and usually within two to three days. So they get there real quick. They are fantastic, and they work like a charm. I encourage you to check it out, and if you have any questions, hit the Contact Me button on the main site. You can call and leave a message or send an email. Either way, we'll get back with you as quick as possible and uh, do everything we can to get your questions answered get you on the right track. Also, while you're on the main website, be sure and hit the Radio Shows page, and at the top of the page is the link to our archive page set up through castbox.fm. There's over 1,200 shows up there now, and they're all shareable via email and social media, which we encourage you to do. And then if you scroll down a little bit further, you'll see the information on the shows we do, when they're on, and how you listen. And at the bottom of the page is the link to the archive, or excuse me, the the link to the uh, Facebook page set up for the show, as well as the Telegram channel. So uh, there's lots of information there. Just have fun with it. And uh, keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests, and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the uh Spreaker Radio Network, Jitsi, Free Conference Call, or their owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say in the show should be construed as an attempt to diagnose, treat, or cure any kind of a health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only, so that as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping-off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. That being said, one other thing I want to mention real quick is I recently was turned on to a really, really cool uh, TV system um, by some uh, couple of my listeners down in Texas, Brent and Carl, or Brenda and Carl, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, basically, it's a streaming service. If you've got a high-speed internet connection and a uh, Amazon Fire Stick uh, for your TV or just, you know, 
your computers and phones and uh, other devices don't need anything. They can just run through a web browser. This is called, it's a Christian company called Q Streaming, C-U-E, Q Streaming. And um, this is what it says on their website. Thousands of live TV stations, hundreds of sports channels, nationwide local channels, thousands of movies and TV series, video on demand and pay-per-view, top-tier channels including, included, uh, stream up to five devices at a time, watch from anywhere, no contract, no hidden fees. And it's all fifty nine ninety five a month. And uh, in the chat room on uh, Jitsi is the link uh, for that. It's quite long, so I'm going to be putting it on my website. I just haven't had a chance yet. Uh, but it is in the chat room on Jitsi. And uh, the referrer name when it asks you is Christian Education Ministries, which is my ministry. And the, the really cool thing is I've been using it all weekend and uh, the last couple of days. And um, the worst thing I can say is every once in a while you'll get a show that, uh, and I think it's just an issue that they're going to be fixing. Um, it, it'll buffer for a second or two and go back to the show. And um, that's the only downside I've seen so far. Otherwise, it's fantastic. Um, and they're not kidding. Every single movie channel that I can think of, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, not just one, but there's like half a dozen of each of them. All the sports channels, if you're into it, is there, are there. Um, pay-per-view stuff is there. And there's no extra fees for anything. It's all one flat $59.99 a month. You know, I was paying $132 with Spectrum, and I'm canceling as of the end of the month and switching completely to this system. Um, like I said, the only thing you need for a TV is a, an Amazon um, Fire Stick that are about 30 bucks or so. Um, you can set it up in 20 minutes and be ready to roll. And I'll tell you what, it is. it works great and for the money. And the best part is that link I put in there is the link as for a... Uh, uh, I guess you could call it a distributorship because you can refer people to this and every person that you get that signs up, you get $6 off your bill. So if you sign up 10 people, your service is free. And as long as they continue, it's free every month. And anything above and beyond that gets paid directly to you. You can, dial, you can drop it right into your bank account, put it onto a um, Venmo or PayPal account, whatever you want to do. And um, it's right there. So really pretty good, cool system. And I encourage you to look into it. Uh, it's called uh, Q Streaming. If you uh, put in just myqstreaming.com, myqestreaming.com, um, it should bring up just a regular page, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just try that real quick and make sure. And let's get a new thing here. My Q. Oops streaming yep and yeah basically at that point um <laughs> but this only takes you to the thing where you can order the service it's not the distributorship part so you would not be getting the six dollars off your bill if, with this one so you need to use the one uh let me see if um this works nope that doesn't work <laughs> uh And that doesn't work. Okay. Yeah, you have to use the one in my uh, chat room here. Or, like I said, um, hopefully 
before the day is over, I will have it uh, on my website, and then you'll just be able to go there and click the link, and it'll take you right where you need to go. So, um, sorry about that. I tried to make it easier, <laughs> but anyway, it is a, a really cool system. And you talk about loaded. I mean, there's all one of the things I found really good was I did. I've been trying to find a streaming service or anybody that had uh, Top Gun Maverick. I wanted to watch that movie. I had a buddy of mine had gotten it as a Christmas gift and he loaned it to me, but I watched it once and gave it back. And I really wanted to watch it again because it was an awesome movie. And I've been searching, searching. When I had Netflix a while ago, I tried it. They didn't have it. Um, I tried everything and I finally found Amazon Prime had it, but you want, they wanted you to pay for it. And lo and behold, I fired the system up, did a search, and sure enough, there it was. They had Top Gun Maverick there, no charge. I could watch it all day long if I wanted to. This particular version, for some reason, had looked like it had uh, Korean subtitles <laughs> that I couldn't figure out how to make go away. But um, it was exactly the same movie in English, just had those little subtitles that you just had to ignore. But um, didn't cost me any extra. So they ain't kidding. They've got all the good stuff there. And uh, well worth it, uh, from what I can see, especially if you share it with other folks. And I don't know why you wouldn't, because most people are paying hundreds of dollars. And they're, you know, if you're like me, every time I'd be scrolling down the thing on Spectrum, I'd see something I want to watch, but there's a little yellow key next to it, which means it's locked and I'd have to upgrade in order to be able to watch it. Well, guess what? All of those things are open on this system. And everything I wanted to get before that I would have had to pay extra for above the $132 I was already paying, I can get for 60 bucks a month, $2 a day. <laughs> Hard to pass up. And uh, I tell you what, so far it's working like a charm. I'm really liking it. But um, if it continues to be as good as I think it is going to be by the end of the month, I'll be canceling that $130 deal on Spectrum and cutting my bill in half. Can't beat that. But I wanted to mention that uh, just because when I find a good deal, I like to pass it on to my listeners. And uh, this thing really, really looks good. So um, I encourage you to check it out. But it is in the chat room, and it will also be on my website as soon as I can get it, hopefully by the end of the day. And uh, you can go there just to yourdiyhealth.com. And I'll probably put it on the main page as well as the links page. So it should be in two places. And uh, you should be good to go. Just click it. And like I said, when it asks who your referring uh, person is, just put in Christian Education Ministries. I'll have that on the site as well. And you'd be able to copy and paste it, and you'd be good to go. So that being said, uh, Thursday, I began a what I kind of called uh, my I'm 100% unashamedly uh anti-vax and why you should consider being one being that too and thursday was part one today is going to be part two and uh, thursday i was playing some different uh, video clips and things from like vax 2 and a couple other videos that were really really good that kind of point things in the direction of why on earth would you listen to anybody especially an md who has total liability protection for any damage caused to you by any injection he pumps into your system and he's pushing all the parents especially if he's a um, pediatrician they get financial incentives to have 
you know, 80, 90% of all of their patients injected with every single thing. And they're not going to bear, you know, let up. They're going to keep pushing, pushing, and pushing because they want to make sure that they meet those numbers. Because if they don't, they don't get squat. But if they do, they get hundreds of thousands of dollars, trips to Bermuda, and who knows what else. But um, they have huge financial incentives to make sure that your child's injected. And at the same time, they have total liability protection. So when your child develops Guillain-Barre syndrome or... Um, uh, autism or whatever else, or they just uh, go limp like a noodle and can't walk and they have to spend the rest of their life in a wheelchair, guess what? They still get their big bonuses and they don't have any liability for what they just did to your kid. So the thing I want to play right now is a video that came out a few years ago called 1986, The Act. And it's about a uh, couple that are getting ready to have a baby and they're considering whether or not to vaccinate, and they're looking at all the different uh, ramifications. The law, in this case, 1986, the act was the uh, Childhood Vaccine Act. You know, I don't—that's not the entire title of it, but it's the one that gave total immunity to manufacturers and administrators or administers of childhood vaccines. And it's an absolutely disgusting law. It was signed by Ronald Reagan. Another stupid thing he did. and uh, But anyway, here's the uh, 1986 The Act, at the very beginning of it. Just waiting for it to start up here. when we were about to give up.
a happy, healthy, normal child, typical child, reached all his developmental milestones on time. Right before his first birthday, he was walking, he was talking, eye contact, interaction, all that good stuff. He did have a uh, symptoms consistent with a severe adverse reaction at six months to the DTP. And it's in the medical records. Parents voiced questions, concerns regarding shaking episodes, entire body trembles. After he had those reactions at six months, he should not have been vaccinated again. Marty asked what we're gonna do about vaccination. That's a no-brainer. What do you mean? Babies need their shots. And what about me? What do you mean? They vaccinate pregnant women, too. No, it, doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. You still think it's a no-brainer? He was a bright, precocious baby, the most precocious of my three babies, actually. Saying words at seven months, speaking in full sentences by the age of two. Well, my personal reason for doing this work for the last 36 years is that my son, my firstborn, suffered a convulsion, collapse shock, and state of unconsciousness within hours of his fourth DPT shot at two and a half years old. I didn't understand what I was witnessing that day. I didn't understand he was having a brain inflammation. He was eventually diagnosed with multiple learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder, so severe that he had to be put in a special education classroom for 12 years. When I saw the TV documentary, DBT Vaccine Roulette, in the spring of 1982, I was absolutely stunned. I saw descriptions of pertussis vaccine reactions that exactly matched the symptoms that I saw my son suffer that day, I called the station and I asked to be put in touch with other parents. And we co-founded the organization that's known today as the National Vaccine Information Center. I wanted to investigate pertussis and pertussis vaccine. I was insatiably curious about why a government policy required children to get this vaccine. Why this kind of vaccine would be recommended and mandated. It never crossed my mind that a vaccine that was supposed to keep healthy children healthy would ever in a million years be able to brain damage or kill them. The doctors had been talking to each other in the medical journals for more than 50 years about how pertussis vaccine could cause brain damage and death, but they had never bothered to tell mothers like me who were trusting that a pediatrician would never do something to a child that would hurt that child. Why would I need a hepatitis B vaccine? That's the order. So I was like, okay, value my job. I get the hepatitis B vaccine and got it and almost lost my life to it. To cut a long story short, um, 
Turned out I had a full-blown autoimmune disease, I developed Graves' disease, but there was also massive damage to my, my nervous system. I couldn't walk anymore, um, I really struggled to talk. I don't think I slept, I mean, for weeks and weeks and weeks while I was pregnant. I just read and read and research and research and research. He was taken in for an ear infection and he'd been sick for two weeks. The doctor wrote him a, the maximum dosage of penicillin. As he's getting up out of the chair, says, time for his vaccinations. Are you sure he should get these vaccinations when he's sick and he's getting penicillin? And that was the fatal day. And after that point, begins to regress into autism. It never crossed my mind. After he had those reactions at six months, he should not have been vaccinated again. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. A vaccine that was supposed to keep healthy children healthy would ever be able to brain damage or kill them. I was insatiably curious. Insatiably curious. I mean, for weeks and weeks and weeks while I was pregnant, I just read and read and research and research and research. No, babe, I don't believe it. Look, you are getting yourself all worked up over nothing. Okay, what about polio, for God's sake? In 2002, when my son was first diagnosed with autism, and I first heard the theory that vaccines cause autism, I didn't believe it. I had a lot to learn. with congressmen up on the hill and said, this is wrong. This vaccine needs to be taken off the market. There needs to be a safer version of this vaccine. Why are these vaccines being mandated? I don't know. I mean, I think it's a reasonable question. What about um, polio? Yeah. You know, you asked me about polio. You got to go back a long way to answer that one. 1955 to this guy, Dr. Julius Youngner co-inventor of the inactivated polio vaccine. Yeah, the one that protected us when we were kids, right? Mm -hmm. Having met some of the world's great vaccinologists, I must say I have great admiration for Julius Jungner, who I thought was a very simple, sincere, and brilliant man. Jungner had developed three important technologies for assuring the safety of the inactivated polio vaccine. He began to hear that the Cutter Laboratories in California were failing at, on all these levels. And so he went himself to the Cutter Labs and he was completely shocked at the shoddy level of production. And he told Jonas Salk that the Cutter Lab was absolutely a risk to paralyze children with their vaccine. And he called for them to shut it down. And Jungner wrote a letter to the Cutter's lab to that effect. Very strong letter. Jonas Salk 
told Younger, yes, you're absolutely right. It's terrible what's happening in Oakland, but you shouldn't send the letter because I'm better known as the head of the entire operation here. I'll send the letter. And? Salk never sent the letter. And Youngner wasn't the only one worried about that vaccine. In particular, Bernice Eddy at the National Institutes of Health, who had charge of testing monkeys, injecting them with the product of six different laboratories that had been chosen to mass produce the Salk Youngner inactivated polio vaccine, began to find that the very sloppy methods were resulting in highly virulent viral particles in the shots that were being administered to her monkeys. And the monkeys were becoming paralyzed at an extraordinarily high rate. She sent her data to her superiors, and her superiors ignored them. She then took photographs of the paralyzed monkeys, terribly wrenching photographs, and they ignored that as well. In fact, over 200,000 American children were administered a defective polio vaccine, approximately 40,000 children contracted polio, 200 were paralyzed, and 10 died. It turns out that Qatar knew that many of the vaccines were defective. A man-made polio epidemic. And something I never considered? Vaccinated children can spread polio. This caused a polio epidemic amongst the families and communities where the children received a defective vaccine. Of those who came in contact with vaccinated children, 113 were paralyzed and five died. It came as a stunning reversal of public perception, of media support, and it caused a profound panic at the Centers for Disease Control at the National Institutes of Health. Imagine if you are a polio vaccine developer or expert at the National Academies and you get a call at midnight on April 26, 1955, and you're summoned to a secret meeting to decide whether or not you suspend this miraculous vaccine. And there was bitter disagreement um, about whether or not the vaccine had caused these injuries, and they quickly determined it was. That's when the White House stepped in. They halted all polio vaccines for several months, and they withdrew the Cutter vaccine totally from the market. They also lied. They had also found that two other manufacturers had live polio virus in their vaccines. But it was decided, apparently at a very high level, possibly even by the president himself, that that should not be revealed to the public. Because? Because it was thought that that would permanently damage public faith in vaccines. And it had become very important for American foreign policy as well as domestic policy that people have faith in vaccines. And we know that from documents that were declassified in the last year of the Obama administration showing that the Central Intelligence Agency had decided by 1954 that vaccine programs could be a way to enhance American influence throughout the world and also to keep up American technology in bioweapons. Wow, spooks. <laughs> it's a whole new ballgame. See you later, babe. The pressure that was put on these newly created virologists, vaccinologists, superstars altered their judgment and caused them to commit what actually some called a quote-unquote horrendous crime. 40,000 children contracted polio, 200 were paralyzed, and 10 died. Good. 
the client wants his extension extended and the transmission on the truck is acting up. But, uh, yeah. Babe, vaccine injury is real, always was. And there's another side, over four billion paid out by our government for damages. Well, protection comes at a cost. What about the victims? Wait, did you just say that the government paid out? Cutter was a real turning point. It went before a jury, the Gottstanker case. Cutter's attorneys argued that injured children should not be compensated. Liability would stifle vaccine innovation. Not innovation of safer vaccines. Surely they would be encouraged by the threat of litigation. From a legal perspective, many of the injured plaintiffs and their families had an extremely difficult time seeking redress through the courts. Is anyone surprised? Apparently vaccines have become a bargaining chip in U.S. foreign policy. Mm. So by this time, there was also a competition between the United States, the Soviet Union, and its allies in being the world's most generous supplier of vaccines. This guy doesn't seem like a whack job. And the problems with the polio vaccine didn't end with Cutter. Check this. When Bernice Eddy made a second and even more fundamentally important discovery in the early 1960s, that all the polio vaccines were all contaminated with simian viruses. And that one of those viruses, called simian virus 40, was particularly dangerous and virulent, and very high percentage of the mice and other laboratory animals that she injected with this simian virus 40 rapidly developed tumors. This indicated to her that this was an extraordinarily dangerous cancer-causing virus. Between 1955 and 63, over 98 million Americans were administered polio vaccines widely contaminated with this cancer-causing virus. By the early 1960s, as the U.S. government began to identify itself, not just at home, but abroad, with the eradication of all disease, there was even more pressure on government agencies to give good news about vaccines and about disease eradication programs. We were going to create the, the health utopia. <laughs> A utopia that meant not troubling Joe Public with concerns about vaccine safety. It had become a national political priority to promote vaccines and to squelch bad news about vaccines. And that was everywhere, and it involved every vaccine. Remember the swine flu scare of 1976? This virus was the cause of a pandemic in 1918 and 1919 that resulted in over half a million deaths in the United States, as well as 20 million deaths around the world. Hey. Real quick. Real quick. January 1976, Fort Dix, New Jersey. Army Private David Lewis reports sick, ignored medical advice to rest, and ended up dying a few days later. 
cultures from his throat swamp, grew an influenza virus that the CDC had down as some killer swine flu. Yeah, like that uh, Spanish flu. Killed a bunch of people way back when. Hey, come on! The game is more important. Like, like I'm painting the nursery pink or polka dots or something. Okay, okay. No! Okay. No! This is not halftime entertainment. We've got work to do. After three more cases popped up at Fort Dix, the CDC recommended a vaccination program targeting 95% of the U.S. population. That vaccine was called X53A. Was X53A ever field tested? Uh, I, I can't say I would have to. Uh... It wasn't. The vaccine was rushed to market with little attention paid to safety, except for the insurance companies that were asked to underwrite it. And they said no. Uh, yeah. And then the vaccine makers took the position that if the government wanted the vaccine, then they should take on the liability. Let me guess. Congress said no. Production stopped, and companies refused to release vaccine stocks. Then get this. July 1976, legionnaires returning home from their annual conference in Philly started dropping dead. It took the CDC six months to identify the bug responsible. Legionnaire's disease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, a nervous public feared it was the deadly swine flu. Within 10 days of the Legionnaire's outbreak, Congress succumbed to industry's demand for indemnification, and the government assumed full responsibility for all injuries that might result from the swine flu vaccine. No liability in a free market. That just doesn't sound right. President Ford signed the Swine Flu Act into law. Well, a few things motivate politicians like a plague. The unmistakable subliminal message from the manufacturers. There's something wrong with this vaccine. Experts had determined that the Fort Dix virus was not the same as the killer flu of 1918. So the CDC got it wrong? Babe, there was no swine flu epidemic. And other than the four cases at Fort Dix, there was no swine flu, period. And that vaccine hurt a lot of people. By mid-October 1976, dozens had died shortly after vaccination. And many were disabled by a paralyzing disease. Did you know ahead of time, Dr. Hatwick, that there had been case reports of neurological disorders, neurological illness, apparently associated with the injection of influenza vaccine? Absolutely. You did? Yes. Did anyone ever come to you and say, you know something, fellas? There's the possibility of neurological damage if you get into a mass immunization program. No. No one ever did? No. Your superiors say that you never told them about the possibility of neurological complications. That's nonsense. I can't believe that they would say that they did not know that there were neurological illnesses associated with influenza vaccination. That simply is not true. By December? The disastrous swine flu program was pulled. Benefits? There was no benefits. Well, at least not to the public. 532 cases of paralysis, 58 deaths. A wave of lawsuits followed. Thousands of administrative claims were brought against the U.S. government via the indemnification program. And it cost the taxpayers over $220 million. 
they knew that fear was a great motivator. And it set a precedent for the industry to get immunity from product liability. So I guess there were winners. My first case was a Massachusetts case. He was born totally normal, no complications at birth. He made all of his motor milestones until uh, after his second DTP shot, he developed a seizure disorder after going through a period of high-pitched screaming and uh, the mother described it as uh, somebody was tearing his skin off. Dealing with the family and seeing what they had gone through and seeing the denial of the, of the doctors. You know, as a young attorney, just coming out of law school, I went after this as my cause. This national publicity about the fact that DPT vaccine could cause injury and death was causing a lot of anxiety up on Capitol Hill. The vaccine manufacturers and the medical trade associations like the American Academy of Pediatrics were panicking. The argument that the companies made and, the, and medical trade made was government licenses childhood vaccines. They recommend for universal use childhood vaccines and the states mandate childhood vaccines. Therefore, the companies and the doctors should have no liability. The government should assume all liability. And so uh, this whole liability protection issue is as a result of government mandates. doctor knows that this is mandated by regulation. So he has no so choice. So he has no choice. And indeed, the parent has no choice. Kids can't go to school without their shots. Wait a minute. There are legal mandates for child safety seats, but nobody argues that the government should assume the manufacturer's liability for those. Huh. The manufacturers had a more compelling reason. They were afraid of going into a courtroom, and that's the biggest fear that any product manufacturer has in this country, getting caught doing something wrong and being punished for it. In the early days of the litigation, we were able to uh, get a favorable result for, uh, I would say, pretty much 100% of the people that we represented. Because they always seemed to settle the case at the same juncture of litigation, of the discovery. That told me a story as an attorney. It told me that, that if they're willing to pay on these cases, there's something that I still don't know about. Discovery is where we get access to all of the documents that they have and we can determine for ourselves what they knew, when they knew it, and what they did about it. So I guess the real question is, was the DTP vaccine unavoidably unsafe? I mean, if the companies had done their best, they had a strong case. Yeah, but if not, if they knew they could make it safer and chose not to, then a jury trial would be disastrous. True. I mean, look what's happening to Monsanto right now.
because we fought for more documents, they would settle the cases very quickly. Most of these lawsuits would be settled on the courthouse steps by the companies before they got to a jury trial. And as a condition of doing that settlement, all the court records were sealed from public view. So what the manufacturers knew when they knew it and what they did about it remained a secret? That all seemed to have changed in a New Jersey case. We were fighting over the documents. Letterly, at the time, was, was contesting that. They fought tooth and nail against giving them to us. Uh, we had to go back for three separate motions to compel. The judge gave them a very short time span, a couple of days to produce the documents. Concerns about brain damage from the original pertussis vaccine date back to the 1930s. Even 50 years later, they admitted what they knew about the basic biology of pertussis was ab abysmal. People would be outraged if they really knew how much they don't know about what vaccines do in the body. How much they're covering up about what vaccines do in the body. I mean, it's no wonder they've tried to hide this from Hugo's law firm. Look at that. Internal memo from 1962, written by Dr. Christensen of Letterly. It's obvious that severe neurologic reactions have occurred in children after pertussis vaccines, which have passed toxicity tests currently in use. 42 years had gone by between the first warning and the time the U.S. government decided to commission its first study. It was done by Dr. Larry Bariff of the UCLA Medical Center. Because the uh, Food and Drug Administration was concerned that this sort of public panic might spread to the United States, they wanted to document that the vaccine was in fact safe and not associated with severe uh, consequences. After millions of doses had already been given, someone finally did a safety study. Bariff's going to measure adverse reactions to 15,000 DTP shots, but only 1,500 doses into the study he gets a surprise visit from Wyeth's Dr. Deitch. What is a Wyeth employee doing interfering in a government study? Deitch's secret report on that meeting? Bariff feels that the reaction rate for currently marketed DTP vaccine is unacceptable. Far from the expected incidence of one in 15,000 immunizations, there have been one in 300 generalized seizures and two collapse shock. Serious reaction rate? One in 214 doses. The UCLA study found more reaction than had ever been seen before. So what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Babe, something did happen. At this stage, when an unacceptably high rate of serious adverse reactions had been identified in the first big safety study of DTP vaccine, Bariff presented his alarming findings to the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA should have immediately suspended the DTP vaccine. That would have happened for any regular pharmaceutical product in this situation. But something very different happened. Following the surprising visit from Wyeth's Dr. Deitch on September 6, 1978, unaccountably, the rate of seizures in the study fell from 1 in 300 doses of DTP to 1 in 3,563 doses. 
Rates of collapse shock fell similarly. Babe, the odds of this happening by chance are greater than a thousand to one against. These new results were used to bolster confidence in the safety of DTP and reassure doctors that the benefits of whole cell pertussis vaccine far outweigh the risks. And for what was soon to come, these results were used to persuade Congress that the vaccine makers had made the pertussis vaccine just as safe as possible. How's the truck? Did they fix the transmission? Knock on wood car insurance? Sounds like vaccine policy to me. Yeah, maybe they just couldn't come up with a safer vaccine. They actually started to study whether they could break the bacteria open. Do you need the whole cell or are there certain parts of the cell that give immunizations? Conversely, is there part of the cell that is dangerous and can cause harm? The makers discovered that if they could separate the bacteria's beneficial and dangerous parts, they could make a safer vaccine, a so-called acellular pertussis vaccine. So when did they know that? 1963. Eli Lilly had a safer version of the DTP vaccine. Trisulgin is accompanied by a much lower incidence of systemic reactions than is observed with DPT containing wholesale pertussis vaccine. So why did nothing change? Why did an avoidably unsafe DTP vaccine continue to be injected into millions of children every year? The fact is, we may have had a safer shot a long time ago. We have had the capability to make a safer vaccine. The manufacturers have chosen not to for economic reasons. They want immunity from lawsuits. They don't want to lose the third mar world market because these vaccines cost pennies to produce. In Japan, they've been using a safer acellular vaccine since 1981. So why not here? Vaccine manufacturers met again in 1982. Well, Kanat's Dr. Stainer acknowledged that they could make a much less toxic product, but it was going to cost more. Dr. Shu, Kanat Laboratories, made the North American manufacturers' priorities very clear. I would like to make a short comment on the issue of compromising between the price and the purity. Because I'm from a company that produces vaccines, so we are, of course, very interested, first of all, with the price. The reason they didn't pursue the safer vaccine came down to, I'd like to say dollars and cents, but I can't. I'd like to say cents, but I can't. I'd have to say less than a cent per dose to make it safer. And they were unwilling to cut into their profit margin. So 1963 was the earliest they knew they could make a safer vaccine? No, it wasn't. Letterly filed a patent on an acellular vaccine of lower toxicity in 1937. Are you kidding me? Huh. 60 years before the safer vaccine was actually licensed? So what did they do with this patent? I can't answer it. I don't think anybody other than the folks at Letterly can tell you what was going on in their evil minds. 
they knew they could make it safer, but they didn't want to spend the money. What we had at that point was so damning to them. It was a path of years and years and years of deceiving the regulators, lying to the doctors, and that was what they were running from. Okay, well, thank you for your time. <laughs> I think your transmission's working just fine. <laughs> I love you. They were clearly sweating. Since that documentary, litigation against Letterly alone was up over 400%. What was the corporate response to vaccine roulette? Memo to all company employees. The present DTP vaccine is the safest that medical science can now provide. There is no evidence that there is or ever was a vaccine with fewer severe reactions. Liar. And then there's this. The Pinto memo. Pinto. Yeah, in 1970, Ford Motor Company introduced the Pinto. It was a small car with a big problem. If the car was rear-ended, the bumper assembly would crash into the gas tank and it would explode. Ford was accused of causing up to 900 burn deaths because they were unwilling to spend just $11 per vehicle for a safer gas tank. 11 bucks. This is an internal risk-benefit analysis. Recall and fix the problem, $137 million. Leave the car a fire risk and pay off deaths and injuries, just short of $50 million. Ford made a business decision. And then their memo ended up in front of a jury. That's when Ford got sanctioned big time by punitive damages. The behavior of the vaccine manufacturers is identical. When the judge ordered them to produce those documents, it was like almost divine provenance. They dumped 80-something boxes of documents on us one afternoon just before a weekend, and I looked at this completely filled-up conference room, and I reached out and grabbed a random box, opened it up, and I pulled out a document. I found the Pinto memo for vaccines. If we kill kids, it's going to cost us a half a million bucks. If we don't kill kids, it's going to cost us a million bucks. Here's how much we have to price our vaccine at. I mean, it does acknowledge that the public had been kept in the dark about problems with the vaccine. Beyond that, it's just another risk-benefit analysis. Do we stay in the market or not? Three options. Was the safer vaccine one of them? Nope. Get out of the market altogether. Business as usual, but aggressively hike up the price to cover legal cost. Or seek liability protection from Congress. <laughs> Get out of the market. Right. Apparently, to a jury, that would appear like an admission of guilt. Until Hugo's discovery, the preferred option was to stay in business and hike up the price by 6,000%. That's aggressive. But with this, once it got in the hands of Hugo and his colleagues? They never let us see the, the light of a courtroom uh, when, once we got this full set of discovery from them. 
That's when the third option, mm, federal liability protection, that became the industry's lifeline, which they couldn't leverage once they'd shown they could make a safer vaccine. So they dressed it up as something very different. And they would tell the public, they would tell the, 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 the judges, they would tell their congressmen and their senators. You need to protect us from vaccine injury lawsuits. We can't make it safer, so you have to do something for us. If you don't protect us, we're going to leave this country with no pertussis vaccine. One of the biggest intimidation tactics I've ever seen a company do in this country. A blackmail of Congress. Corporate misbehavior, the uh, profits over people and profits over safety. The effects have been devastating for hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of parents. Congress decided they were going to create legislation that was going to protect the vaccine supply and contain costs. They came to us and said, you can come to the table and you can argue for what you think the children should get. But we are going to pass legislation to protect the vaccine supply in this country. We knew that the companies had to have a duty to make vaccines less harmful. We fought as hard as we could for six years to try to hold back three of the most powerful entities in society, government, medical trade, and the pharmaceutical industry from completely removing all liability for vaccine injuries and deaths. Group called Dissatisfied Parents Together, DPT. And they called and they asked me, uh, is there any way that the Trial Lawyers Association would get behind a bill that is essentially tort reform? I thought about it for maybe 18 and a half seconds. And I said, it's a good deal. It's a good deal because it's good for the people. It's not good for the lawyers. It's terrible for the lawyers. It's horrible precedent, but it's necessary because we're talking about brain-damaged children. A dollar today is worth so much more than a dollar six years down the line. It's safe to say that if a tort lawyer could go after the pharmaceutical industry the way they should be able to for all this damage, it would be a multi-trillion dollar settlement. It would mo most definitely bankrupt the entire pharmaceutical industry. I think it's gonna put our country under extreme challenge. Henry Waxman and his co-authors on the bill were determined to get the act passed, despite pushback all the way up to the White House. And they weren't alone, but they were cutting it very close. With only days to go before the congressional recess, the bill's passage was up in the air. With the White House declaring plans to veto the entire omnibus package due almost exclusively to the provisions in the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. October 20th, 1986, Los Angeles Times. Waxman made it personal. If the president vetoes the bill, he will leave these children to fend for themselves and leave the country with risks or shortages or skyrocketing prices. If he vetoes it, I hope he has some emergency plans to start making vaccines himself because the manufacturers tell us they may very well stop. Just like swine flu, same playbook. Yeah, now we know the real reason.
With the passage of the act, the 90s opened up an entirely new era for vaccination. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act had three purposes. First, to compensate infants and children who'd been injured by their vaccines. Second, to give some level of liability protection to industry. And third, to make vaccines safer. With the act, Congress guaranteed children injured by vaccines compensation that would be swift, efficient, and generous, while at the same time giving industry a measure of protection from traditional tort liability for vaccines that both Congress and the courts have found to be unavoidably unsafe. So the threat remained. I mean, despite the cushion of the compensation program between vaccine makers and a hostile jury, the lie that the DTP vaccine was unavoidably unsafe hadn't gone away. No, not completely. Here's the first case, Manley versus Health and Human Services. It went to trial in the new vaccine court in 1989. So not really a court, babe. We don't apply the rules of evidence that directly. No judge, no jury, no right to discovery. Our hearings are all closed to the public. A special master appointed by the defendant, our government? Well, actually, the program got off to a promising start. It was such a relief to be able to have this program. We were so shell-shocked and so bruised from six years of litigation in each case. When I tried the Manley case, which was the first case ever tried in the program, it worked. It worked. We had a death case that the child was, was diagnosed with SIDS, and it wasn't, wasn't SIDS because there were certain things. The child was screaming, crying for hours before she went to bed, and she had a high fever. And the mother put the child down to bed that night, and the child never woke up. Within months of filing it in the vaccine program, we were done. They were paid. And it was a slam dunk. It was a complete slam dunk. Not everybody was happy about the act. Like who? Officials at Health and Human Services, HHS, were furious. They opposed the law to the bitter end. They did not want the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act passed. To compensate children would have sent the what CDC and the other powers that be at the time viewed was the wrong message that in fact vaccines are dangerous. The position of the Department of Health and Human Services has been that there is not as yet evidence that such a system is needed. They didn't want to have the children compensated because every time a child is compensated it means vaccines can do that. In fact, Congress rubbed salt in the CDC's wounds by creating this. Vaccine injury table. A list of recognized vaccine injuries. Under the new law, these were entitled to automatic compensation. There will be a presumption of causation in the absence of a more biologically plausible explanation for the child's injury or death. Where there was doubt, Congress wanted those children to be compensated. So, if you have a particular vaccine and a specified injury... Within a specific time period. Causation is presumed? Yeah. In court, you didn't have to argue an injury that was on the table. The discussion was only about the level of compensation. But if your child's injury was not on the table, then it was off table. Meaning... For these particular vaccine injury claims, the government places the burden of proof the burden of causation on the injured person. In most instances, this creates a nearly insurmountable burden for these injured parties. You had guidelines on the table. We had signs and symptoms of encephalopathy on there. 
encephalopathy, any diffuse disease of the brain that alters brain function or structure. Encephalopathy, brain inflammation, encephalitis has always been one of the most serious complications of vaccination. Almost all the vaccines that are recommended for children today can cause brain damage. We had signs and symptoms of seizures on there. Collapse shock, high-pitched screaming, which is also known as the encephalitic cry. The doctors were furious because they want a complete liability protection. And they didn't get it in that law. Do you think doctors are warning patients about the risks? No. For the first time, doctors would have to give parents written information about vaccine risks and disease risks. The doctors would have to write down in the permanent medical record the vaccine's name, manufacturer's name, and the lot number of each vaccine given. Doctors were required to report vaccine adverse events to a federal vaccine adverse event reporting system. What about the vaccine manufacturers? The vaccine manufacturers were furious that they were not given complete liability protection. They did not get protection on the duty to make a vaccine less harmful. Meaning avoidable injury. Yeah. We fought to make sure that that law did not eliminate all liability. And the congressman who wrote the bill agreed. If an injury is the result of a bad vaccine, or one inadequately researched, or warned of, then the courts can still make an award. Worst of all, for the program and the government, injured children started getting compensated in large numbers. It started out as so successful. I remember uh, our first year, 92% of the cases got compensated. The vaccine program started to cost a lot of money. And then bad things started to happen. The law as it was originally Okay, I'm going to stop it there. Bad things started to happen. We'll pick that up on Thursday. But I um, wanted to go a little bit further into things here. You know, they were talking about uh, court rulings and stuff like that. And um, let's see here. I'm going to show the, share the screen just in case anybody wants to see this. This is an article from the Hutchison's News. What's the date on it? Uh, published um, September 22nd, 2016. Supreme Court rules vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. Imagine that. The article by Ariana Cha exemplified what pharmaceutical companies love to parade. Basically, be afraid of measles, mumps, and chickenpox, but vaccines are totally safe. Don't trust the fraudulent Andrew Wakefield. And Andrew Wakefield is a pediatrician from Great Britain who kind of uh, jumped aboard or jumped into the fray of uh, vaccine stuff just because he didn't like the trivalent type vaccines where you had three different things all in one. He wanted to split them up. And as a result of that, he was labeled anti-vax and just uh, destroyed by the British medical community and forced into a uh, new career of uh, telling the truth about vaccines. So the Supreme Court has ruled vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. Vaccines contain mercury, formaldehyde, aluminum, polysorbate 80, cell lines from aborted fetuses, 
tissues from hamsters, dog kidneys, monkeys, peanut oil adjuvants, and more. Would you put this in your child's orange juice? No. Allowing hazardous material injections into their children's bloodstreams has caused untold grief for tens of thousands of parents. And thanks to the 1986 Act, they basically get screwed. Because what this video was saying, you know, the supposed intentions that the children would be uh, compensated and it would be fast and, and efficient and um, generous, bull. The vast majority of people that go before the vaccine court lose. And they lose big. And they're stuck for the rest of that child's life trying to take care of them for millions of dollars with no protection and no compensation from the government or the uh, vaccine manufacturers. And one of the biggest fallacies of this whole system, and this was part of the argument when that act was being considered, was that if this doesn't pass, then we, the manufacturers of vaccines, are going to leave the United States and leave you without vaccines. Congress should have said, great, get out of here. We don't need you. And that's the truth. All of the science, the real science, that has been accumulated since the days of Edward Jenner shows that vaccines are worthless, they are unsafe, they are ineffective, and they don't do anything but cause damage to the people who they are given to and make lots of money for the people who make them. That's the bottom line of vaccines. They don't work. And unfortunately, the lies put out by the American Murder Association and Big Pharma have totally uh, sunk into the minds of the vast majority of parents in this country. Because people are too fat, dumb, and happy to do their own research to take a look at things and find out the truth before they allow their children to be injected with these bioweapons. We have thousands or millions of children who have been damaged by these things, very few of whom have received any compensation whatsoever. And the myth of safety and efficacy continues. And it's absolutely disgusting. And that's one of the biggest problems with this whole thing. It's the assumption or the, the overall, you know, in court, they... Um, you know, when I was a police officer, a court would take uh, judicial notice of something that was had been proven to be the truth and was not questionable. And unfortunately, that's basically what's going on with the public in general and courts, too. They have given judicial notice to the lie that vaccines are safe and effective, that we must have these things to prevent these terrible, deadly childhood illnesses. The funny thing is, is those illnesses were never terrible and deadly until somebody developed a vaccine for them. Prior to that, they were just a rite of passage. You're a little kid, you get chicken pox, you're done with it in a week, and you go on and you have lifetime immunity. No harm, no foul. Everything's great. You get measles. You get over it in a, in a week. You know, it's a childhood infection. You get it, you're done, and boom, lifetime immunity. Never have to worry about it again. It wasn't until they developed a measles vaccine 
that measles all of a sudden was a terrible, deadly disease that children had to be protected from. That's the lie that's told over and over and over again by Big Pharma and the American Murder Association in order to scare people into allowing doctors who have complete liability protection to inject this stuff into their children without even thinking about what's in them. And I will admit, I'll, I'll admit right off the very top of things, that I was one of those parents. I went, my wife and I took our children to the doctor, to the pediatrician, just like good little lemmings, when they were young, and allowed them to be injected with those vaccines. And I still remember, you know, getting one in the arm, getting one in each thigh. You know, they would get zapped. And this was in the 80s, the early 80s. You know, my oldest was born in 1980. My youngest was born in 82. And both of them, they would get jabs in the arms and in the thighs, and they would get multiple vaccines on visits. That And it just, it seemed kind of strange to me, but at the time I wasn't thinking straight. And I was programmed just like everybody else. Oh, you got to get your shots, just like the guy in the video said. No, they don't. You know, and we're going to be uh, getting a video here soon that actually looks at the difference between vaccinated children and unvaccinated children and who's the healthiest. And there's no question. Children that are fed properly, uh, given good nutrition, and not vaccinated are far healthier than children who are vaccinated. There's no question. It's proven out over and over and over again. And if you remember from uh, last Thursday when we played uh, Vaxxed 2, um, they were actually talking to folks in that video. The last thing they did was they compared uh, vaccinated with unvaccinated, and then they got down into the same family where the first child, and it's always this way, the first child gets the vaccine and then parents start to wake up and realize what's going on. And then the other children don't get the vaccines. And the interesting thing is when you're looking at nutrition, generally speaking, the first child is the strongest, the healthiest, because that's when mom has the most nutrition in her body. As she continues to have children, Unless during that process she finds out about Dr. Wallach and gets on the 90 essential nutrients, uh, which is very seldom the case, but it, ha it has happened. But generally speaking, as mom goes through and has more and more children, she becomes less and less nutrient uh, packed, I guess you could say, because every baby draws nutrients out of mom's body to build while they're gestating. So if a mother has four children, you can bet uh, unless something changes nutritionally for mom, which, you know, if she keeps eating the same way she normally does over the course of the years that she's having babies, the first child will be the strongest. The last child will be the weakest. They'll be more susceptible to uh, new diseases. They will be more likely to have birth defects, potential birth defects. And it's a shame because if mom was 
knowledgeable about nutrition and unfortunately it's it's a it's the fault of a, of the OBGYN because they're ignorant they don't tell mom what's going on they put her on these bs um you know what do they what do they call them um the uh you know, the vac you know, the vitamins that they give you uh prenatal vitamins which are absolute worthless crap they're put together by big pharma they they're there to make money for big pharma but do nothing for the mother or the baby and that way the big pharma still makes money and then when uh, mom is led to believe that this is all you need to take in order to be you know produce a healthy baby and i'll i'll admit my wife was put on those things when she was pregnant with our kids and the thing is is number one they're put on these things once they find out they're pregnant which is way too late by the time most women realize that they're pregnant and the idiot md puts them on prenatal vitamins the birth defects are already baked into the cake because you have got to have the nutrition there at the time of conception otherwise most of the you know birth defects are baked into the cake within the first trimester and it's usually you know late in that first trimester or into the second when they find out they're pregnant and by then putting them on these crappy vitamins that are that don't do any good is just a waste of time all it's doing is making money for big pharma so then you have babies with potential birth defects that big pharma is going to make money on all their all the life of that child with drugs trying to treat their problems which are nutritionally derived and drugs don't answer the problems question so it's just an ongoing thing but you know if if parents were aware of nutrition and followed dr wallach's protocol of both mom and dad being on the 90 essential nutrients appropriate for their body weight prior six months prior to can to even trying to conceive birth defects would be a thing of the past you would see the healthiest babies you could ever imagine they would top the charts as far as development and progression and things like that and you would never see these snotty noses and all the things going on that we have today and it's getting worse and worse and worse because there's less and less and less nutrition in the system and in the food we consume and therefore we're more nutrient deficient which means more nutrient deficiency diseases so back to this article all righty um Congress protects the pharmaceutical companies from liability. Vaccine Injury Court has paid out over $3 billion in damages. Yeah, and this is as of 2016, or what, 40 years, I think it is? Uh, 30 years, I'm sorry. Since the act was passed in 30 years, the vaccine courts paid out $3 billion in damages. Or, let's see here, that's just a lot of money, but compared to the number of people that have been injured, not so much. Vaccines are not run through the same rigorous trials as drugs, which aren't given through much either. A vaccinated versus unvaccinated study has never been conducted. Nope, not officially. No one has ever done a double-blind placebo-controlled study on multiple-dose vaccines given multiple times. Nope. 
Most people who express vaccination concerns were at one time ardent proponents. Oh, yeah. Myself, you know, I wasn't an ardent proponent, but I, I was led to believe that it was the right thing to do. And it wasn't until I really started digging into stuff that I realized what a moron I had been. But luckily, that can be fixed. It's just stupid that you can't fix. And that's where a lot of doctors lie and a lot of other folks, unfortunately. The number of reported adverse reactions to the MMR since 1990 is nearly 7,000. <laughs> and most are not reported. Yeah. Just remember, a uh, the most recent study on this kind of thing came out of Harvard University, and they figured 0.8% of adverse events from vaccines are ever reported. So if we've had 7,000, multiply that by roughly 100 or 700,000, almost a million, <laughs> you know, haven't been reported and are out there, you know, dealing with this stuff. And the thing is, most people have no idea that the vaccine court even exists or that they have the ability to file a claim against it. Why didn't the article mention that? Hmm. A reasonable adult might be able to think that multiple toxic and neurotoxic substances simultaneously and repeatedly injected into the bloodstream just might cause problems. You know, mercury is considered to be one of the most toxic compounds, or not compounds, but uh, it's a mineral, on the planet. But it seems to be just fine when you put it in vaccines. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> How does this match the first do no harm mantra? Yeah, that's supposedly the Hippocratic Oath kind of thing that doctors supposedly take, maybe. The Disneyland measles fiasco created by the media was designed to raise fear. Yep, everything they do is to keep people scared. None of the children died. The media failed to mention that we now have an autism rate of 1 in 68 in some cases, it's even more than that. Autism is far more life-debilitating than measles. By 2025, the pro projected rate is one out of two. So that's in two years from now. <laughs> we are still saying vaccines don't cause it. That makes some people feel good. But the reality is that many parents know better. Oh, yeah. You can call it anecdotal all you want. But a little kid that's, uh, you know, doing just great, you know, everything's fine, goes to the doctor, gets the jab, and the next thing you know, he's autistic. I'll tell you what, you try and convince that parent that it wasn't the jab. Good luck. A good reporter digs for truth. Vaccines, however, are fiercely protected from exposure to truth. The media is solidly in bed with vaccine manufacturers. Thus, we have a grassroots movement that is trying to get the attention of the government, the media, and the people. Yeah, and so far, they're fighting a losing battle. The journalist, doctor, researcher, or scientist who really listens, researches, and thinks critically stands to lose everything, guaranteed. Most are not willing to pay that price. Meanwhile, our children are paying heavily. They have behavioral disorders, autism, asthma, allergies, seizures, permanent disabilities, and much more. The pediatric specialists have waiting lists. The special education and regular classroom teachers are alarmed. The cost of caring for autistic children now totals, oh boy, hundreds, thousands, millions, billions, two trillion, four hundred billion. 
while we argue and believe the lies that vaccines have nothing to do with it. This helps the vaccine manufacturers keep the projected income increase at 12.63% while our children continue to be sacrificed on their altar. Wake up, people. Documented evidence indicates that your doctor, public health worker, and legislator have been intentionally uninformed by the CDC concerning the dangers of vaccines and the herd immunity myth. Go to www.westonaprice.org or www.nvic.org to learn more. Not bad. And I just stumbled across that with a little search. Now, beyond that, like I said, this has been documented for years and years and years and years. And I'm switching my screen share now um, to a book called The Horrors of Vaccination Exposed. And this is a book, I I mentioned it last Thursday, that was printed in 1920 by Charles M. Higgins. Full title is Horrors of Vaccination Exposed and Illustrated, Petition to the President to Abolish Compulsory Vaccination in the Army and Navy. You know, this is something, (laughs) unfortunately, They're trying to stop it in the military, which is a good idea because when you have sick military people, they are not mission critical, they're not mission ready, and things are doomed to go bad. But they've bypassed the children. And at least in 1920, there weren't anywhere near as many childhood jabs as there are now. But I'm going to read a little bit from this. Public challenge to health departments. Deaths from vaccination denied and concealed. More deaths from vaccination than from smallpox. This was one of the, that was one of the big things back then was the smallpox vaccine. The um, uh, Supreme Court case in 1905. Um, trying to remember the name of it. Shoot, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, where. Everybody leans on that to say it's okay to, it's not a violation of the Constitution to force you to be vaccinated. The fact is that Jacobson had been vaccinated and had had adverse offense from it uh, in the previous history. And when the city of Boston, I think it was, tried to mandate, it was either Boston or Cambridge, one of them tried to mandate the um, smallpox vaccine that he had already had you know, adverse events to, he refused. And the case went all, you know, and the thing was, is they, they had a $5 fine if you refused to take the vaccine. Well, he refused the vaccine and refused to pay the fine. And the Supreme Court case was more about the fine than the vaccine. And when it was said and done, he lost. He basically, they said, if you don't take the vaccine, you got to pay the fine, the five bucks, which wasn't, you know, it's a fairly sizable amount back in 1905. Um, but they did not say he had to take the vaccine. Bodily autonomy was supreme, and the Supreme Court knew that, and they were not about to say, you must take this vaccine. No, they just said, you got to pay the $5 fine. You know, it's your right to not take the the vaccine, but you got to pay the fine. And that was bogus anyway. It's still a screwed up decision, but 
you know, that's the one that the pro-vax people hang their hat on. Jacob is in V, Massachusetts, when it never said that you they could violate your rights and force you to be jabbed. That's not in there anywhere. So just keep that in mind. But going back to the book, in order that there shall be no misunderstanding about the serious charge which I bring against vaccinations as being now actually more dangerous to public health and human life than natural smallpox, and the equally serious charge which I make against vaccinating doctors who now control our departments of health and vital statistics of denying and concealing these facts from the people. I now issue this special challenge to the Department of Health of the city and state of New York, which cover a population of 11 millions and with the, with whose records I am more familiar and or that I will undertake to prove from their death certificates and vital records now concealed and withheld from the public that there have been more deaths from vaccination than from smallpox in every year for the past 15 years in the city and state of New York. If they deny the truth of these charges, I further solemnly challenge them to open their now concealed records to public examination, and I will prove the truth of my charges from these records. Will they now dare to deny these charges, or will they dare to refuse to open their heretofore hermetically concealed records to give the full medical and statistical truth to the people on these most important points? Charles M. Higgins, Brooklyn, New York, September 17, 1919. Forwards for Medical Freedom and Keynotes of American Rights and Liberties in Medical Matters. Keynote 1. Inalienable rights of the people. All men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. From the Declaration of Independence, 1776, more properly called Declaration of Rights. And the thing is, it goes on beyond that, the pursuit of happiness, and it reads on further, and I'm just quoting from memory, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That's the sole purpose for government, to secure the individual rights of all men, period, and women. And just, you know, they didn't do that back then, but we're a little more politically correct here. The sole purpose for government is to secure the rights, not to protect us, not to make rules, not to make laws, not to enforce things, but to secure our rights, period. Keep that in mind. Keynote number two, reserved rights and powers retained and possessed by the people. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. U.S. Constitution Articles 9 and 10, 1789. Keynote number three, sovereign rights of the people. Under our basic charters, just quoted, the sovereign right and power rest in the people, and the government has no rights or powers, whatever, except as conferred by the people. Let's clear that up. The government has no rights at all. It only has powers or authorities granted by the people, period. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Question. 
Where have our state or national governments obtained the right to force any medical remedy on or operation upon citizens against their will and consent? Where have these governments obtained the right or power to force an infectious and deadly disease upon the human body in defiance of the will and right of its citizens? Hmm. Good question. Through a series of unconscionable contracts. That's how it's done. Horrors of vaccination. Have the people ever given up their most sacred, essential, and unalienable right to the sanctity and security of their own bodies and to their free choice and right of selection in the medical treatment of their bodies? This is surely one of the greatest unalienable, reserved, and retained rights which the people have never given up to any government and which the legislature or police power has no right to invade. Keynote number four, preeminent rights of the individual declared by the U.S. Supreme Court. And this is, quote, there is, of course, a sphere within which the individual may assert the supremacy of his own will and rightfully dispute the authority of any human government, especially of any free government under, <coughs> excuse me, existing under a written constitution to interfere with the exercise of that will. That's the U.S. Supreme Court in vaccination case of Jacobson, 1904. And the decision was 1905. Note, the decision also held that vaccination could not be legally forced upon any persons who could show that it was dangerous to their health or life. Keynote number five. Compulsory vaccination is unconstitutional. Another quote. It may be conceded that the legislature has no constitutional right to it should be authority to compel any person to submit to vaccination. Judge Woodward of New York uh, Appellate Court in Weimeister case in 1903. Number quote. If the commissioner of health had the power to imprison an individual for refusing to submit to vaccination, I see no reason why he should not also imprison one for refusing to swallow a dose. But... The legislature has conferred no such power upon him, if indeed it has the power to do the like. Judge Gaynor in Supreme Court, Brooklyn, New York, 1894, case of Smith versus Emery. This decision was fully sustained by the Court of Appeals. Note, keynote number six, medical compulsion and domination judicially rebuked for medical freedom asserted by New York Court of Appeals. I concur in, ju in Judge Chase's construction of the statute, but I, uh, but I would go farther. I deny the power of the legislature to make it a crime to treat disease by prayer. Decision of Chief uh, Justice Willard Bartlett of New York Court of Appeals in Christian Science case of Willis Vernon Cole, 1917. So in other words, they can't even say it's illegal. You, if you want to treat it with prayer, that's your choice. And they can't make it illegal. Good for them. Keynote number seven. Government has no right to force a medical disease or uh, operation upon the people. From these decisions, I would seem to, it would seem to be obvious that I cannot make a, make a crime, it cannot be made a crime, to refuse a medical operation to which the patient does not consent or approve. And these are all basically ensconced in the Geneva, or not the Geneva Convention, but the uh, Nuremberg uh, Code 
that was passed after World War II. Obviously, this is before that, but they're saying the same thing. And which is dangerous to health or life, and that is uh, that this is a uh, sphere, as stated by the U.S. Supreme Court, within which the individual may assert the supremacy of his own will and rightfully dispute the authority of any human government to interfere with the exercise of that will. And furthermore, this sphere surely means an unalienable rights of the, the unalienable rights of the people asserted in the Declaration and reserved rights and powers retained by the people as expressed in Article 10 or 9 and 10 of the Constitution. Keynote number eight, the Jeffersonian Oath of Rational American Liberty. I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence, to Benjamin Rush, signer of the Declaration. Benjamin Rush was one of the first uh, Surgeon General, if I remember right, but he was... uh, he was a little loony, too, on kind of different things. Keynote number nine, medical freedom is an unalienable American right. The right of the individual to select any preferred system of medical treatment, whether with or without prayer and faith, and uh, with or without drugs and medicine, or with or without vaccines or serums, and the right to accept or refuse any medical remedy or operation is surely a clear, inherent, and reserved right under our basic American charters of rights and liberties, and cannot be legally or morally denied, but must be respected, defended, and enforced by all governments. Boy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> it seemed awful uh, commonplace and common, you know, common sense back in the early 1900s, but today... Look at all the people that are having their, the families, the parents that are having their children removed because they choose to, you know, treat their child with prayer or refuse vaccines. And courts allow these so-called medical experts, the MDs, the medical deities to come in and say they're crazy. Those people have to have their children taken away from them. And now what we're seeing on top of that is the same type of medical deities coming in saying, oh, if that little seven-year-old believes he's a girl when he's really biologically a boy and the parents won't go along with it, that child must be removed from the family and uh, given the surgeries and have his uh, penis removed and uh, given all kinds of weird drugs and everything else. It's both sides of the coin. It's sick, demented crap, and the parents need to be protected from that stuff. Anyway, indeed, our first and basic charter, the Declaration of Rights, clearly and emphatically asserts that the essential purpose of government is to secure these inalienable rights of the individual. Exactly like I just said. Jefferson taught that liberty in all essential needs is not a privilege granted by government, but an inherent right possessed by all men and naturally or divinely conferred upon them. Hence, the chief function of all governments is to secure and enforce these human rights, not to invade or violate them, to satisfy medical dogmas or other oppressive, dangerous, and illegal theories. That's classic stuff there. Keynote number 10, conclusion, abolish forced vaccination. 
All compulsory vaccination should be abolished as being illegal and unconstitutional and more dangerous to public health and human life than natural disease and therefore a medical outrage and crime upon the people. The Declaration of Rights instinct or distinctly asserts that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. The ends here referred to are the natural, unalienable, and reserved rights of the people which are grossly violated by compulsory vaccination. And it is therefore a moral, legal, and constitutional right of the people to demand the abolishment of this medical evil of compulsory disease, which obviously violates their most sacred and essential personal rights. In other words, the sanctity of the body, medical liberty and choice, health and life. Text of proposed law to abolish compulsory vaccination. No form of vaccination or inoculation shall be compulsory on any person or be made a condition for the exercise of any right, privilege, or duty of any person. Straightforward, clean, and concise. And uh, the book goes on. The contents are uh, quite, quite uh, compelling. And... uh, I'm just scrolling through some of these here real quick. I mean, this is a major book. It's a PDF that if anybody wants a copy, it's available online. If you just do a, uh, a, a search for the horrors of vaccinations exposed. Um, but if you can't find it, send me an email and I'll send you a copy. Uh, again, it's the horrors of vaccination exposed and illustrated. Petition to the President to abolish compulsory vaccination Army and Navy. Subject in brief, request to the President as Commander-in-Chief to abolish compulsory vaccination in the Army and Navy to make all vaccination voluntarily voluntary as it now is in the English Army and to pardon all men condemned by court-martial for refusing coercive vaccination. Boy, I'll tell you what, this is still something that needs to be done. Compulsory vaccination is a serious danger to health and life, a grave medical malpractice, and a gross violation of medical ethics, and of the American principles of inherent natural rights guaranteed by the Declaration and the Constitution, and should be abolished. Dangers and fatalities of vaccination exposed and illustrated. The sad thing is, again, this book was written in 1920. And guess what? 123 years later, we still have vaccination compulsory in the U.S. military. How many of our troops in the last 123 years, or actually before, before, because it was before this that they were doing it, gotta be hundreds of thousands that were given these jabs and many of whom had terrible uh, responses to them. I have a friend who has passed away now, but he was um, in the Air Force and given a compulsory flu shot. And he ended up contracting Guillain-Barre syndrome and spent several months in an iron lung as a result. And because of that, he would not take any vaccines for the remainder of his life. And that was back in the, in the 50s. 
that he got the thing, if I remember right. And from that point on, anybody ask him about a vaccine, ain't no way I'm taking it. <laughs> uh, you didn't have to ask him once or twice. But the thing is, he's just one of hundreds of thousands. Petition from Charles M. Higgins of Brooklyn, New York. A citizen of the United States to the President of the United States, Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, Washington, D.C. Mr. President, American history, as you well know, tells us that our first president and illustrious George Washington, or the illustrious George Washington, died in 1799 as the result of a medical malpractice common at the time, in other words, the barbarous and dangerous practice of indiscriminate bleeding to cure disease. While suffering from an attack of acute sore throat or laryngitis, the patient was so weakened by the great loss of vital fluid or blood in repeated bleeding operations that he was not able to endure the loss and overcome also the effects of the disease. Our great Washington thus gave up his glorious life, glorious in the establishment of American liberty and the principles of inalienable natural rights of the individual as a basis for all government on the altar of medical barbarism and malpractice. Historic warning in the death of our first president from medical malpractice. Let us now take this warning from the medical barbarism of the past, even over such a long interval of time, as a fit warning against a medical malpractice and barbarisms of today, which are even more irrational and dangerous to human right and safety, health and life, than the malpractice of the past which destroyed the life of our first president. Compulsory vaccination, the great medical malpractice of today, which kills many, where bleeding killed one. Now, the most barbarous and dangerous medical practice of today is the gross evil of compulsory vaccination, which is doubtless the greatest violation of common sense, medical propriety, and the unalienable natural rights of the individual guaranteed in our basic American charters that any dogmatic, presumptuous profession or class of men has ever been guilty of. And it is to this serious violation of American principle forced on our soldiers and sailors by medical dogmatism that I now wish to ask your most careful attention as one having the supreme commanding and pardoning power in the Army and Navy with the earnest prayer that in the exercise of the exalted wisdom and powerful power possessed by your great American office and personality, which has now made itself felt around the world, that this medical barbarism of compulsory disease may be abolished in our army and navy, and that all men condemned by court-martial for refusing the infliction on their bodies of compulsory disease shall be fully pardoned and restored to their proper and honorable status as loyal American soldiers and sailors. And I now wish to present to you in the following pages an abundant array of facts and evidence which prove, I think, beyond doubt, the great evil and danger of vaccination, its fatality and futility, and clearly justify the rational reform suggested for the abolishment of all forced or compulsory vaccination. The modern medical barbarism poisons the blood in the body instead of draining the blood out of the body. 
In this medical malpractice of today, the doctors do not open the veins and drain out the lifeblood of the patient, ostensibly to cure his disease, as in the mistaken past, but they now keep the blood in the body and inject into it, directly or indirectly, various more or less virulent diseases, blood poisons, or disease germs, cultures, or products, either living or dead, with the idea of curing or preventing some natural disease. These practices are called, respectively, vaccination and serum treatment. In vaccination, an actual living or dead disease germ or virus is injected into the blood, lymph, skin, or muscle, whereas in serum or antitoxin treatment, a disease, product, or culture is so injected. Vaccination is the most dangerous and repulsive system of medicine ever devised. Now, whatever permits or demerits the system of disease inoculation may have, either in preventing or curing or immunizing against natural disease, I will not hear say and do not need to hear discuss, except to state that such curative or preventative power has been much exaggerated and is very limited and uncertain. But whatever these merits or demerits may be, it is obvious on fundamental principles of medical, medical and uh, uh, civic ethics that such a dangerous and repugnant practice of disease inoculation or blood poisoning should not be made compulsory on any person for any excuse whatever. It must be here remembered that it was admitted that the old smallpox inoculation had a certain preventative power, and yet it was finally condemned and abandoned for reasons of its great danger as consulting, uh, causing more disease and death than it prevented. Disregarding, therefore, the question of preventative merits or demerits, I think I can now say with perfect truth and soberness with that, and without fear of refu refutation, that this modern system of compulsory vaccination is the most violent and dangerous and most immoral or unethical system of medication that has ever been devised by a most honorable yet most presumptuous profession, which has been proved guilty of the most gigantic medical mistakes in its past history of the centuries, one of which indiscriminate bleeding, as we have already seen, killed our first president, and many other victims of that period. To this gigantic and abandoned mistake, we might now add to the two horrible practices of smallpox inoculation and arm-to-arm -arm vaccination, both of which were once used by and approved by the highest medical authority as safe and infallible preventatives of natural disease, yet both were finally abandoned as great medical mistakes and were prohibited by penal law as most risky methods of propagating and extending disease and more dangerous to human health and life than natural disease itself. And I'm going to stop the reading from at, at that point, but basically, you know, this is someone who's been pointing things out that um, ever since they first started the variolation stuff and the vaccination and all the other different names that they've come up with, the process has killed more people than the actual disease that the thing was designed to help and prevent against. And that same dogma 
that same misdirection has prevailed in the, in the modern medical community for the last 123 years since this book was written. And let me tell you, when you get into the depths of this book, you start seeing pictures of animals and people, uh, many of which are little children who were vaccinated, and the results and the quick and painful death they went through as a result of this barbaric process. Now again, what this, what this gentleman is arguing against is the compulsory administration of these things. You know, if, if people want to include vaccinations, vaccines, and whatnot in their personal realm of uh, medical theory and treatment, that's up to them. But the argument is that under no circumstances should it be ever made compulsory or mandatory on any group of people, especially people that are trying to defend their country. It's just absolutely inhumane and not to mention insane. The proof is there that our medic are that this that this is process is dangerous not proven safe and effective but just the opposite and why on earth would a free and moral people ever inflict this kind of damage upon its military its own defensive network it's like cutting your right arm off when you're about to go into a fist fight with somebody and as we've seen recently with the, uh, the past uh, pandemic of COVID-19, they've still, you know, the stupidity has not only not been stopped, but it has increased uh, monumentally that they made these COVID jabs mandatory in the military. And the numbers of people pilots, ground pounders, grunts, whatever. The number of people that were damaged by these vaccines has dwarfed any and all other previous vaccines in the history of this country. And we now have people that can't serve because, A, they're dead, they were killed by the jabs, or they were so inflicted that they were given discharges. And in many cases... You know, the other guys, the ones that refused to take the thing because they had some common sense, they were given less than honorable and some kind, sometimes dishonorable discharges because they were trying to protect their body, body autonomy. And it's absolutely disgusting that that has been the, been the case. But uh, what's happening in this, this day and age, even with all the evidence that we've seen over the years, and we're going to be covering more and more and more as we go on. But it's just un, unfreaking real what has been the case over the years and how stupid the American Murder Association has been. And I mean, make no bone, I make no bones about it. It's the medical community, the MDs, the American Murder Association that has, for the most part, been spearheading this thing. 
They're supposedly the ones that are the, the most intelligent. They claim that all other, you know, if you're a naturopath, a homeopath, a, an Ayurvedist, a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, any of those things, that you are a quack and should not be allowed to practice medicine. I mean, for a number of years, I don't know if they still do or not, but for a number of years, the American Murder Association had a funded arm that was designed specifically and primarily for the degradation of the chiropractic uh, practice. They had they were funding and they, they were supposed to go into every state and do everything they could to make chiropractors look like quacks and to try and keep them from being um, allowed to be licensed and you know regulated in the states. Now, personally, I don't agree with the licensing of medical people. I don't agree with any licensing. As far as I'm concerned, license is basically the ability to do some permission to do something which would otherwise be illegal. And when we're consenting adults, you know, if we, if I, as a consenting adult, want to go to a witch doctor, I have every right to do so. And that witch doctor doesn't have to be licensed. I consider his uh, um, credentials and uh, his ability to dance around and jump up and down and uh, make potions and stuff. And if I like that stuff, then I should be able to go to him, whether he's licensed or not. And if I'm injured by him, hey, buyer beware. Yeah, but this uh, garbage of government regulation, and that's one of the things that uh, just flaws me, you know, why anybody should have to get a license from the government to earn their own living based in their chosen profession. It's up to the end of, you know, they're basically trying to be mama. You know, it's a nanny state where the government is protecting the people, which is not their job. Their job is to protect the rights of all people. The right of the individual to make stupid mistakes, the right of the witch doctor to practice without, you know, being hindered by government authorities and that kind of junk. It's that's a free and open society. Buyer beware. But we've gone because everybody wants to be protected. You know, instead of having your rights protected, they want to be protected themselves, which that can't happen in a free state. There's going to be some level of tyranny there automatically. It's, it's given. And that's where we've come to over the years. More and more times, oh, we have to pass a law to protect people. we got to do this. we got to do that. And people have gone for it because they're ignorant. Sad situation, but that's where we are. And now they've protected this right into a medical tyranny where only MDs are able to have a say in court. You know, try to try to go into a court as a expert witness being a naturopath or a homeopath or something like that. Good luck. The court will always accept the word of the medical deity, the mad dog, before they'd accept the word of a quack like a uh, naturopath or a chiropractor or something like that. Because they're brainwashed. You know, they have legislated in themselves into a protected monopoly where they can push these vaccines on people. And when the, when the child is, you know, killed or maimed for life, the person, the very person who did it, the perpetrator of the crime, has a get-out-of-jail-free card. They have total protection. 
how on earth Congress could even pass such a law and it be deemed constitutional. How can a third-party body, I don't care where they are, pass a law saying that if I or my child is injured by the actions of another party, that I have no right to retribution to sue this person and get relief? That is flat-out insane, and it's a violation of the very principles that this country was founded upon, or supposed to have been founded upon. And nobody seems to question it because everybody is under the mistaken assumption that vaccines are safe and effective. Oh, we have to have vaccines to protect against these deadly childhood diseases. And if you don't give us complete and total immunity, we're going to fold up our tent and leave and go somewhere else and practice our poisoning. And instead of saying, sure, great, no problem, get out of here. We don't need you. We'll rely on natural immunity. We'll rely on our God-given abilities of our bodies to take care of themselves. But no. We're so stupid and brainwashed that we believe that those people are so important to the safety of this country that we can't do that, so we have to give them what they're asking for. And as a result, millions of children are suffering with lifelong injuries that they received from a so-called vaccine that was going to protect them from a week of discomfort. Imagine that. That's what measles, chicken pox, and all the rest of these so-called deadly childhood diseases are. It's just a standard infection that's a rite of passage as a child. Most people cannot even, I, I've had measles, I've had chicken pox, I've had mumps, and I can't remember a thing about it. Usually it happens when you're so young that you have no memory of it. You just know because your parents told you that you had it. And you now have lifelong immunity. But instead, some schmuck came up with a vaccine supposed to design, protect people against this stuff. And you're forced to take it in order to attend school or whatever else. So in order to avoid a week's worth of discomfort, you have a reaction that gives you a lifetime of agony and misery. What a trade-off. Who wouldn't take that deal? And parents, I'm trying to tell you, don't make the same mistake I did. Thank the Lord my two children survived my stupidity, my ignorance. Your children may not be as lucky because, if nothing else, the fact that they live in the society of today, the, the amount of nutrition that they have is so much lower than what my kids had 30, 40 years ago. Just because they are lacking nutrition, their immune systems may not be available to deal with the onslaught of the crap that your child is going to get in these vaccines. Not to mention the fact that there are a lot more than there were when mine were young. But that is it. We are out of time for today. 
Take care of your bodies because the only place you have to live will continue with part three of why I'm 100% anti-vax and why you should be too on Thursday. Same bat time, same bat channel. We'll also be back in an hour on the same venue for the afternoon version of your DIY health. We'll see you then. Take care and God bless. God bless.